Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know that we're officially back in a buyer's market? That's right. Even though interest rates continue to rise, they are causing prices to fall. So there's finally room for you to do regular real estate investor things that we couldn't do for so long, like gas, negotiate, make lower offers, ask for sellers to cover some of your closing costs. So it's a really great time to buy in terms of being able to get a lower purchase price and being able to negotiate. So if you're looking for your first or next short-term rental, it's a perfect time to reach out to us at the short-term shop. Let our team of agents in any of our true vacation market destinations help you find the perfect investment. Jump on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected to get started. We are brokered by eXp Realty. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. Today I've got Jason Lee, a really cool investor on, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story and what he's been doing in real estate the past few years. How's it going, Jason? Good, Avery. How about you? Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. So um, let's get started. Just tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh, where you started and how you got into real estate. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you can probably see that I look pretty young. So I got into real estate pretty early. I started as a multifamily real estate agent selling, you know, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and um, up to about 10 units, kind of small apartment buildings. When I was a junior in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I came in, but I found real estate through just networking with like the friends that I had in college that I made. All of the most successful, the most wealthiest families that I met there, they were all either invested in real estate or in the real estate business somehow. So I thought there was something there and I ended up loving it because, you know, real estate, it's a lot of competition. It's a lot of, um, you know, you, you got to have that competitive spirit to make it. So I really like that about real estate. So that's how I got into it. And I started as an agent interning at a company down here in San Diego and, um, you know, been through the ringer, the ups and downs of brokerage, uh, first year's terrible. But, um, after about three years, I had made enough money to buy my first property. And since then, that was 2020. And since then, we've bought about you know 26 properties in the last three years uh, down here in Southern California. And um, my company, JLM Real Estate, we've sold about $300 million worth of real estate since we started. So uh, it's been a good ride, but we were talking a little before the show started. It was 2023 has been a tougher year with the higher interest rates and um, you know less transactions, but we're still making things happen. Awesome. Yeah, I think... I think all of us in real estate are <laughs> are feeling like 2023 has been kind of a tough year. So let's start with the investing side of things. So you got started, you bought your first property in 2020? Yeah. In Southern California? Yeah, here in San Diego locally. Okay. So 26 properties over the course of three years in Southern California, that's a lot I, because I feel like a Southern California property is worth about you know five to 10 properties elsewhere. So are these all single families? Are they apartment buildings? What are they? 
they're all apartment buildings. So uh, anywhere from like four, my smallest property is four units. And then my largest property is 16 units. So they're all small to medium sized apartments. I love medium sized apartment buildings. So let's, let's talk about that because San Diego is an expensive market compared to the rest of the country. And I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are getting started and they're like, oh, well, you know, I didn't buy a short-term rental 10 years ago when they only cost a hundred thousand dollars. So I feel like there's a lot to relate to there with you getting started in one of the most expensive uh, markets in the country. So can you talk a little bit about how you were able to get that first deal and what that process looked like to be able to get that down payment and actually get started on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and a great question for your listeners. So yes, uh, Southern California is an, a very expensive market, more expensive than most out there. But um, we have really good market fundamentals here. Uh, even though it is expensive, we have you know, we're landlocked. So you can't build for miles and miles here in San Diego. We have the ocean, we have the desert, we've got the border to Mexico. And then we have a huge army base that separates us between LA, Orange County. So um, that's why prices here keep going up. But the way I got my foot in the door into investing was I made money, you know, selling real estate. So, you know, I'm sure anyone watching the show can make their money in any industry, but um, I made mine through selling real estate. So I saved up about you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in commissions and my down payment for my first property, it was a duplex uh, down the street from here. It was about $700,000 and my down payment was about 125,000. I got a private money loan on it and the rehab cost was extremely expensive, about 250. And then um, I added two uh, units on there. I developed two units on there. So I was into the property for about a million two and then appraised for 2.2 million about a year ago. So that was my first deal. Oh, and goodness. then I kept rolling those profits into um, multiple properties from there. And then I kept selling real estate. So I kept just putting everything I had back into real estate. So I think that last sentence is very, very important that you kept selling real estate. So you didn't quit your job after two or three properties and say, okay, well, this is enough cash flow for me to live on. I'm just going to quit working and do this. And I think that's where a lot of people... I don't want to use the word misled, but I am going to use the word misled where, you know, a lot of gurus are like, you can quit your job after one or two properties and the whole uh, fire movement... I get it. I do get it. But I feel like a lot of that encourages people to retire on just a few doors. And I've been guilty of it myself. I mean, I I retired from my corporate job off of two doors, but I was only making $35,000 a year. So that was not much to have to come up with. Um, but I think that it encourages people. They'll get to a point and say, oh, you know, $60,000, I'm cash flowing. That's all I need for the rest of my life. And they're like 26 years old. And not that I'm that old. I'm only 35. I'm in my mid thirties, but my life is quite a bit more expensive than it was at 25. Two kids are expensive. Uh, preschool's not free. And I think that a lot of people get encouraged to, they think, oh, you know what? X amount is plenty for me for the rest of my life, but they don't realize that your life gets more expensive. Even if you're living very, very frugally, your life gets more expensive the older that you get. And none of us were expecting this huge increase, like this huge inflation where it just costs a lot more dollars to do things now than it did three or four years ago. So I really like congratulate you for not, you know, not quitting your job and you have to keep working and keep buying. And you're not only, you have to, of course, 
roll all your income from your investments back into more investments, but also continue that saving pattern that got you the first property. I think a lot of people skip that. They're like, oh, cool. I don't have to save anymore because I've got this income coming in from this property. So I'm just going to use that. But if you continue the pattern of saving that got you your first one and add in that extra income, then you're going to be able to grow a lot more quickly. So I think you really did it the right way. No, that was very well said. I think a lot of people do think that once they buy one or two properties, they can just you know quit and be done forever. But um, I think it's a much better way to you know keep building while you're young. I mean, you don't need cash flow when you're young, in my opinion. If you start in your 20s or your 30s and you have a lot of energy and you can make a lot of money in your career, as long as you don't absolutely hate it, um, I think it's yeah, very, very wise for someone that's as young as us to keep, you know, building their active income and also their passive income at the same time. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's there is no there's no real way to just sit on the couch and throw your phone in the trash for the rest of your life. Even if you have a bunch of properties and have that cash flow that you're looking for, you still have to manage your systems and you have to manage your managers. So uh there's really I don't really even like the word passive because it's passive for tax purposes, but not yeah. for like real life purposes. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing's ever fully passive in my, I mean, unless you're, you have like bonds, but I mean, those just don't make enough money for you to retire. So yeah, absolutely. So let's see, do you manage properties also or just manage? I do not. I, I okay. have a, I have two third party management companies. I just think it's okay. not the best use of my time as you probably no, as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. For my multifamily, heck no. And I think a lot of people, <laughs> they'll say like, okay, well, why why would you self-manage short-term rentals, but use a manager for long-term rentals? Because I think a lot of people think that the work is the opposite, that it's it, short-term rentals are more work. But when it comes to managing long-terms, you've got to be doing credit checks. You actually have to go show the property to people. You have to do all these things that people don't realize. They don't think about being work. So I'm all about property managers on on multifamily. So um, what would you say is your favorite deal that you've done so far in that multifamily space? I would say my favorite deal um, would probably have to be, you know, it was early in my career, uh, late 2020. And um, I was looking on the MLS actually. And, you know, a lot of people say, especially in Southern California, where it's competitive, the MLS where deals go to die. But um, sometimes you find some really good mismarketed deals from agents who are either new or old or don't know what they're doing. And this agent who sold single family homes and condos listed a fourplex uh, down here in South San Diego. And he mismarketed severely. Uh, all the two bedroom, one and a half bath units he marketed as one bedroom, one bath units because he'd never been inside. And he said they were all like 700 square feet, but they're actually about a thousand square feet each. So there was a huge discrepancy between the actual like property versus the marketed uh, property. And I found that out just through looking at the tax records and seeing, you know, what the actual square footage was and what the actual bedroom bath count was. And when I saw that, I made an offer immediately. But um, when I made an offer, it, got rejected because someone had already gotten in there and um, put it into escrow. But that person ended up falling out and they got my offer as the backup offer in there. And I ended up buying the property uh, for about 995000 I went into escrow at a million fifty, but it needed a new roof and it needed um, all new plumbing. So I got a little credit there uh, from the seller. And I ended up 
vacating the property within two months. And um, if you know California real estate, you can you know how hard it is to vacate tenants here. So I ended up doing that successfully with a cash for keys, a, a little buyout. And I spent about 150K on renovating all the four units. I was into the property for about uh, 1.2 million. And we sold it and flipped it six months later for um, a little over 1.9 million. Uh, that was one of our favorite deals. And we rolled that investment into an eight-unit property um, down the street. So went from four units to eight units with a big profit. And um, it happened through going the MLS. And I know that right now is actually a great time to search for properties on the MLS if you're a new investor, just because there's a lot less buyers out there. Uh, when rates go up, a lot of people take a back seat. But um, when a lot of people take a back seat, that's an opportunity for you to go in and buy at a good price because you have to marry the purchase price, but you're gonna, you can date the rate, right? The rates change. You can eventually refinance when rates hopefully go down. But if you lock in a great price, you know you got a good win. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less buyers out there right now. And you can, it might take some time, but you can get some really good deals uh, right now just because there's not a lot of competition in terms of buyers because people are scared of those interest rates. And you, of course, have to make sure that you're able to at least break even the way the rates are right now. And you know, hopefully they will go down later. I don't want to be, I can't say for sure. I don't have a crystal ball, but I feel pretty darn good that they're going to go down at least some. Uh, but you know, you have to make, be very careful about your analysis and, and all those things. But I, I totally agree with that. Um, I personally just got 300,000 off a $1.3 million deal. We haven't even done the inspection yet, just, just because it had been sitting. Um, I love mismarketed properties myself. Um, uh, one of the guys on my team just got two, uh, his are single family cabins for short-term rental in the Smoky Mountains, but it was marketed as a two-two, and it's actually two entire cabins that are both two-twos. So <laughs> it looked like the it looked like it didn't make sense if you just read, oh, it's a two-two cabin for this amount, but it was actually two whole properties. And uh, so he's he's gotten a really great deal out of that. So mismarketed properties are are my absolute favorite. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of agents out there who don't know how to sell real estate properly. And that's when some of the best deals can be found for sure. I totally agree with that. Management Monday is proud to present this episode of the Short Term Show. Management Monday is a weekly course that will teach you everything you need to know about managing a short-term rental from a distance. How to get more bookings, hire ADR, how to hire and fire vendors, even if you don't want to manage it yourself, you need this course so you know how to manage your manager. Over 10,000 super hosts started their career with Management Monday. And the best part is, it's free for short-term shop clients. Start your journey today at theshorttermshop.com. Theshorttermshop.com. Brokered by EXP. Sell with the short-term shop. Are you looking to sell your short-term rental or even 1031 into a different property? Our team of realtors will work hard to get you the most for your investment. We are experts in our field and would love to earn your business. When it's time to sell, call the shop. TheShortTermShop.com That's TheShortTermShop.com Broker by EXP. So you mentioned that your favorite deal that you did 
you ended up flipping it. So when you're buying these commercial properties, what is the deciding factor for you on if you're going to flip something or if you're going to hold it? Because to be honest, I've got 250. I've never flipped a property. I have always uh, bought and hold, held, bought and held. Uh, <laughs> so what what makes you choose to do one thing or the other? Yeah. So when I say flip, I mean, um, what I mean is I sell it and I do a 1031 exchange. So um, when I buy a smaller property, um, I will take like the fourplex or a duplex and roll that into a larger apartment building just because the smartest people I've met and the richest investors I know, um, they built their portfolio by um, buying at a good price, you know, below market value, fixing it up and selling it, making a big profit and doing a 1031 exchange, which is where you defer your taxable gains and you can roll all your profits into um, your up leg or your next property you buy. Um, it comes with, you know, timelines and, you know, some, uh, some things, some rules you can be aware of that I can go into if you want. But, you know, a 1031 exchange is the fastest way besides a cash out refinance, but I think it's the fastest way to grow your portfolio and roll your profits into larger assets. And, um, I'd much rather own a hundred units on one parcel than a hundred units on, you know, 50 parcels. It's just easy, easier to manage, better scalability. And um, that's what I've been taught and it's worked well so far. Awesome. So typically, if you're buying a smaller property, you're probably going to fix it up in 1031, exchange it into something bigger, or maybe multiple ones. Yeah. It, usually if it's a smaller property and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of juice in it, a lot of profit in it, we'll just take that and roll it into a larger property. Okay. And I think that the question that a lot of people probably have right now that they can relate to is, okay, you've gotten your first deal. You saved up a hundred and something thousand for that. How do you continue to finance your next deals? Are you partnering with people? Are you doing good old fashioned saving? How are you scaling in that way? Yeah. So uh, the first deal I bought was on my own, but um, I ended up partnering 50-50 with one of my clients um, who I sold real estate to. So I made the relationship by him having, you know, bought buying deals for me, me selling properties for him. And we ended up getting along really well and had good synergies and we added value in different ways. Um, I was the deal guy. I was great at finding properties. Um, we both put in, you know, 50-50 our own money. But what he had that I didn't have was he had a really good accounting background and he had really good um, access to really good debt because he runs a hard money, private money debt fund. And his loan terms for fix and flip properties were better than anything else I could find. So, you know, I was on the equity side. He was on the debt side. He was on the tax and accounting side, which is a, a side of real estate that I absolutely hate. So that was great. And then um, from there, we kind of just bought our first property together and then ended up buying two more, three more, four more. And the way that we kept scaling so quickly is that me and him both had good active incomes and we always put both our money back into the property. So we were able to scale really fast that way. But of course, like everyone else, like everyone else, we eventually run out of money, and eventually we did, and we are buying some properties still together. But um, we did bring in some investors who were knocking on our doors who wanted to put in money with us, and from there, it's been a great way to also keep scaling and growing because you know you can't keep putting all your money in forever. Eventually, you get to a point where you have to you know hunker down and ha be happy with what you have, and eventually, we just had to find more and more investors to coming with us to help keep scaling the business. Awesome. And I want to hear a little bit about your the brokerage side of what you do. So you guys do commercial real estate or residential? So um, 
we only do commercial. I mean, a little bit of both because if you sell multifamily and it's five units above, it's considered the commercial real estate realm. But we do sell fourplexes too, but all okay. multifamily. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, that that's really interesting because it it really does help if you're going, you know, if you're shopping for a piece of real estate to have an agent who also owns real estate because there's an they don't have to. I'm not telling everybody like don't ever work with an agent to buy an investment if they don't own their own investments. But there's definitely an empathy factor there of like I will never forget how scared I was when we closed on our first property on our first short term and we were waiting for that first booking to come in or or not for the first booking to come in for a, our, us to go live on Airbnb. I was terrified. And so I always try to put myself in my client's shoes of like, okay, they're as terrified now as you were then. Let's deal with their emotions accordingly. <laughs> so uh, I think there's definitely an empathy factor. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. Um, you have that empathy factor because you're also a broker and an investor. And I feel like if you talk to a broker or an agent who owns property versus someone who doesn't, it's a little bit, you, you get different advice. I mean, my clients tell me like they've worked with agents that don't own property and they just don't understand a lot of the stuff that comes with managing an asset and actually running it properly. And you can just give more knowledge to someone if you actually come from a place where you've been through the struggles of managing a property making mistakes and being scared. I mean, yeah, I mean, just like you, I was extremely terrified of buying my first property. It always is when you go to and do something new, you're never not going to be scared. You're always going to be scared. And um, if you can hold your client's hands through that, because you've come from a compassionate place, it definitely helps um, us give better service to the people that we serve. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I'm just Having been there and knowing what it feels like really will make you a a better agent for sure. And let's see what else. Back to the... Oh, I was going to say on the mismarketed properties, I did have a duplex that I bought in Chattanooga. I don't know. It's probably been six or seven years ago now. That was also... They said it was a 2-2 on each side. And when we actually went in it, we found a third bedroom <laughs> in each side of the unit. So... Um, that those really are my favorite, the high days on market and the bad photos and just wrong information are really the, the number one thing that I look for when I, I mean, it's a little different for us because we sell technically they're investment properties, but they're not commercial. They're single family, residential, short-term rentals. So a little bit different than, than what you guys are dealing with, but principles are the same, like bad photos. I'm in, let's go look. Yeah. Is the short-term rental market still pretty hot or is it slowing down? <laughs> So a little bit of both. So we only stick to markets where like true vacation markets where everything in them was a short-term rental since well before Airbnb existed. So like I live in the panhandle of Florida. We don't really have any hotels, but our entire economy exists or depends on tourism and they all stay in short-term rentals. And it's been this way since the 30s. So in places like this, it hasn't really slowed down. But if you're somebody who's like, oh, you know what? I own a 10 unit in Kansas City. Let me convert these to short term and see if I can make more money. I think that kind of stuff has slowed down because those are the kinds of things where you are competing with hotels. You it it's not necessary, it's not a vacation market. Uh so we focus on like vacation homes in vacation markets. So we haven't seen that slowdown that people have in metro markets, for example. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So, yeah. so you're only buying where you're supposed to run as a vacation rental. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Selling, I've yeah. never yeah. yeah, I've never had it put that way, but yeah, exactly. That's a very good way to put it. 
Um, and, you know, areas like this, if something happened in 30A where I live and they said, okay, no more short-term rentals, there are not enough of us locals to go fill up all those beach houses as long-term rentals and primaries. So it's just the entire area is so dependent on them. Yeah. In San Diego, with the city of San Diego, um, you have to have a permit to uh, run your property as a short-term rental now. So, and they, I'm actually trying to buy a property in Mission Beach right on the water. And there's like a, a huge wait list to get permits out there. and um, if I can't get that permit, I probably won't buy the property because it doesn't make sense to buy it unless I can run it as a short-term rental. So kind of sucks. Yeah. I actually stayed in a short-term rental in Mission Beach last month. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. My, my younger brother lives in San Diego now. So I've been getting out there quite a bit visiting him. Um, okay. Here's a question. So San Diego being as expensive as it is, what made you decide to stay local instead of going and finding some cheap Midwestern market where you could buy a thousand units for the same price? What made you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, what truly made me stay local is although the prices were tough to get into the market, um, number one, I really like the market fundamentals, but two, I just had a really good grasp of San Diego because, I am driving to properties all day long, calling owners, talking to owners that own in San Diego. And I just have a really good pulse on the market down here. So I have a, a competitive advantage here, but I don't have a competitive advantage in like, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee, or in Florida or in Texas, because I just don't know those markets. So Although I would love to scale into those markets, but I personally think for me, I mean, I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone, but for me, I felt more comfortable starting in my home base where I live and where I can actually, you know, see how the properties are doing and be a part of the process and learn it. Whereas out of state investing, I wouldn't have the same knowledge as I do here. That that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that is a really good example of how there's no wrong way to do real estate investing. So a lot of people will be like, oh, you got to go in the Midwest because we don't, the Midwest doesn't have the wild fluctuations in value. It's just always going to cash flow. It's not going to appreciate a ton, but it's always going to cash flow. Or people love Southeastern markets too. Everybody um, flocked to Huntsville and Chattanooga had to stop buying Chattanooga because the deals were just gone. Um, so I think that that's a really good example of that. Like, yeah, you could do those things and it does work for a lot of people, but just knowing your market better than anybody else is also a competitive advantage. So it's not always about price. It's what your comfort level is. So if you're more comfortable at home and it's more expensive, but you're going to be more successful because you're confident, then that's really important too. So there's really no no wrong way to do it. And I think that's a really good example of that. Yeah. And even though prices are high in, you know, the, the big metro markets, if you have, you know, one, two or three partners, you can pull your money together and do a joint venture and, you know, get into your first property. I really like joint ventures because it's much less scary going to something new with people that have either done it before or also doing it for the first time because you can go through that experience together. But if you're trying to find a property with your husband or your wife, your spouse, and it's both of your first times and you're going to own hundred percent of it. Um, I'm telling you right now, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes when you buy your first property. And it's a lot less scary when there's other people that can back you up or be a part of it. Again, another great example of how there's no wrong way to do it because I don't want partners. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to have to answer anybody. I don't have to <laughs> ask for permission to do anything or run anything past anybody. I would rather make my, me and Luke, my husband, I would rather us make our mistakes and learn from it than have to go run anything by anybody. So, but you're totally right, though. It would be nice to have someone to share in <laughs> that 
potentially stressful experience. It's not really stressful anymore because we're not new, but I could see how that would be comforting to certain to certain personality types. So again, there's no wrong way to do real estate investing. And I think it's a really good example of that. Yeah, there's no, there's no right or wrong way, but there are pros and cons to everything because what you said is great because yes, if you don't have partners, you don't have to answer anyone. You don't have to talk to anyone else but your yourself. And that's amazing. Um, so there's pros and cons to everything uh, in real estate. It just depends on what, what pros you're okay with and what cons you're okay with. Yep. Whatever your comfort level is. Yeah. All right, Jason. So we are running out of time. And so I'm going to head on to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. First question is, I guess this wasn't too terribly long ago for you, but what advice would you give 20-year-old Jason? (laughs) Uh, I would give 20-year-old Jason, um, I would tell him, you know, not to be so afraid of the world. I think um, when I was 20, I was scared to try a lot of things. I was always, you know, fear-based had a very closed mindset. So um, when I was open to trying new things and open to being uncomfortable in a lot of situations, that's when I ended up growing a lot. So I would tell my younger self to, you know, put yourself out there um, more and more because it'll get you to places where you couldn't have imagined you could be in. Great advice. And along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today? So we're guys at the beginning of Q4 of 2023. It's kind of sort of, according to the news, I'm not making an economic prediction here. So don't comment on the thing that I said anything weird. Just based on my perception of the news, kind of seems like we might be at the very end of any potential rate hikes, not going down quite yet, but looking like they're probably maybe going to next year. So what's your advice for somebody who's looking to get started today? Yeah. Number one advice I'd say right now is an amazing time. Don't get so hung up on the rate. If you can cash flow and you can buy a deal at a good price, even at rates being at seven or eight percent. Um, that means your property will probably perform really well in the future. Um, and if the average home price of the place you're buying in is five hundred thousand dollars and you buy that property for twenty percent less, um, you're probably gonna be okay. Um, so if you can find a good deal when the market is down, there's less buyers, the market always comes back up. So if you know you can make money on it, you can cash flow, pay your mortgage, you're gonna come out on top. So um, don't be so afraid of the high interest rates. Also great advice. And last question, what's your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Yeah, I'd say the most impactful book. Um, it's not real estate related. It's more business related, but I'd say the most, um, or even just life related, but um, How to Win and Influence Friends by Dale Carnegie was probably uh, the book that's had the most influence on my life and my business. Great, great recommendation. Love that one. Well, Jason, if any of our listeners want to find you, follow you, keep up with you, how can they do that? Sorry, I, I screwed up that book name. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> oh, that, I knew what you meant. <laughs> um, but, but um, man, that's funny. Um, how you can find me, thank you, is um, you can check me out on my YouTube at Jason Joseph Lee or my Instagram, same, my full name, Jason Joseph Lee. I have a common first and last name, so I got to put the middle name in there. <laughs> gotcha. Well, thank you so much for coming on and we will catch you again sometime soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Avery. 